0: All right, good morning, Julia. First, it's good to see you this morning. Hey, if you would, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? We find in John 14. John's gospel comes to us not from a secondhand experience, but it comes from a person who was with Jesus at every point of his life. And John reveals to us things that other gospel writers don't. And so John gives us insight to one of those conversations today. John 14 says this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I love that opening statement. Do not let your hearts be troubled. How troubled are you this morning? My father's house has many rooms. And if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. Now, this is not what we think it is, what we'll, we'll explain later. He says, listen to this, you know the way and the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, aren't we all Thomas? Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, You do know him and you have seen him. Philip said, I'll tell you what, the disciples, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered him, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? He says, Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, I need you to hang on to this. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing, and they will do greater things than this. Come on, that's good news. You will do greater things than Jesus himself. He says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now, let's be clear about the anything. Notice that he says anything that glorifies the Father who is the Son. Do you understand that right? So your car that you need may not be something that, that glorifies God at this moment. So that prayer may not be answered. Not that he won't give you one, but but this is God's word to us this morning. This is something that we should be thankful for. See, we're we in this series of Believe this morning, and we've, we've gone through three weeks where we said believing is peaceful, believing is going against the grain, and believing is engaging the good. And this week we're going to continue that journey. And believe this morning. Would you pray for me as we begin? Lord, we give thanks. We honor your, your presence. We acknowledge your presence among us this morning. Would you open our hearts and our minds to, to the beautiful words that you speak to us, even when we question you? Would you give us life this morning? May we receive the good news and may we be moved by your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Y'all may be seated. Well, uh, last night uh, we finished up a patio project, and we were enjoying the patio project, and we noticed, Janelle noticed, well, we've got a a robin that is nesting uh, in our spouting, and it had its little babies, I don't know what you call robinets. I I don't know what you call them, but uh, but the robin was flying back and forth, and in in about the 15, 20 minutes we were sitting there, the, the robin probably made 15 or 20 trips. And Janelle said, um, can I ask a question? I said, sure, you can ask a question. She said, where is the father? Why is it that the mom has to do everything? And I said, well, boys will be boys. Do you really need to answer that question? And that really is, that really is the way life happens, I think, for most of us. Moms do all the work, right? Right. Happy Mother's Day to most of you, to, to those of you who are mothers here. I, I want to share with you this morning some memories of my mother. Last year I got in trouble because I didn't preach about mothers on Mother's Day, so I'm going to preach on Mother's Day about mothers. And last year, or I was thinking this last week about my mom, and I was remember two uh, memories. I don't know why these two, but these are the two that stuck out. I remember when I was in high school, and I felt like life at home was suffocating. I really wanted freedom. And so, I mean, rebellion was like roosting within my soul. And, and I decided that I would be rebellious. And so what did I, I moved out. I moved out of the house. Now, I was a rebel. I moved out for an entire week. <laughs> Watch out now. Like a big slumber party. Moved out for a whole week. You see, I thought I would find freedom and something that was carefree. And what I found was a world that was unconcerned. A world that was unconcerned with my well-being and my well-upbringing. And it didn't take long before I came running home crying my face off because it wasn't a good week. And I remember my mom, who had every right to come upstairs and say, you are a dummy, and just beat me over the head with a shoe. I remember my mom came up and she sat on my bed. And she said, son, can you just help me understand what you're going through? And I'll never forget. I I mistook my, my mother's care for something else. And in that moment, I realized how much she loved me. And I told her everything that I probably shouldn't have said. And she didn't tell me how bad I was. She didn't spank me, <laughs> if they do that in high school. But she simply listened to me and cared for me in that moment. And I'll never forget that. I'll never forget this other moment. My my brother and my dad and I came home from uh, an event, and we walked in the back door of the house. And at our house, you would walk in the door and make a right and go up about three stairs into the kitchen. And I'll never remember, we didn't even make it past the door, and we turned right, and there was my mom holding my seventh-month-old sister lifeless body in her hands, and I remember, I remember in that moment, this image will be ingrained in my mind forever, my mom holding this little baby, this little infant, just limp as can be, and I remember they called a babysitter, and I remember peering out the screen door, and I watched as my mom and dad got in the ambulance, and they loaded this little baby my little sister Emily, into the ambulance. The next morning, we we got up, and we ran to my sister's crib, and she wasn't there. And I remember we ran to my parents' room, and I'll never forget how they explained to us, to three kids under the age of five, five, four, and two at the time. That their little sister who had Down syndrome had passed away from a heart disease they didn't know about. I promise it won't be this sappy the whole time. But what I remember most about the days and the months after that is other than my sister's funeral, I don't remember seeing my mom weeping and sulking and feeling sorry for herself. She didn't have us fend for ourselves because she didn't have the mental capacity and the physical capability to get her sleepless body out of the bed. She didn't have us fend for ourselves. She didn't say, I don't think I'm going to make meals because I don't feel like it today. I'm not going to meet the demands of three children under the age of five because they don't understand what it's like to have a heart that's broken. I'm not going to cease my care and compassion for my kids just because one of them is deceased. Some of you have been through this. And what I want to acknowledge about my mom and what I want to acknowledge about moms here today is moms are the doers. There are no days off. There isn't a moment to say, I quit. There isn't, I'm going to go to work today and get away from the kids. There isn't that. Now, some of you understand have to do that, but but you are a mom this is not a title that's handed out at a like candy at a memorial day parade the title of mom is not handed out like a trophy at the end of the soccer season mom is what you do see i acknowledge this morning that that perhaps some of you here today have had a moment in your life where you were ready you realize you were not ready to be a mom there are people in this very sanctuary this morning who have either had an adoption or maybe even had an abortion. And if you are, are some of those people that maybe have had an adoption or abortion because you just, you just weren't ready to be a mom, let me just say this to you this morning. At this church, we aren't here to judge you because mercy triumphs over judgment. And what we want to do is we want to join you in your journey, and we all want to walk alongside you and understand how we can help. That's what we're here for. My other thought, this is a parenthetical thought, those are dangerous, but the other thought I have is this. For those of you who may not have liked that last statement and are pro-life, are you pro-life or are you pro-birth? You see, a lot of us are pro-life, but we're only pro-life up to the point that the baby is born, and then we want nothing to do with supporting that life through their entire existence. So I want to ask you this morning, are you pro-life or are you pro-birth? Just a few thoughts this morning. The beauty of Mother's Day is that mothers embody what we believe. Jesus shows up to us today, he shows up to his disciples, and he says, if you believe, you will do the works that I'm doing. Mothers are doers. And so here's the thought that I want to work with today. I know it's not a very profound thought, but it's Jesus' thought, so it's, I guess it's profound. This is it, believing. Believing is doing. I know you're like, wow, thanks, Brad. That probably took all of about two seconds to get. No, it might not be a profound statement, but I want to ask a profound question. But before I get to the question, I have to make a confession. Some of you may not know this, but I have a side job. Uh, I recently got a side job, and uh, it pays well, and I'm confessing this today. I didn't even ask the board. I just went and did it. Many of you not know that I am a professional football player and I play for the Chicago Bears. I don't know why you're laughing, why that's funny. I actually have an amazing contract. The contract clearly states, I wish I could put it up for you today. The the contract states that I don't need to show up to preseason workouts. I don't need to go to, to practice. And they're really not all that concerned if I show up for the games. But I'm here to tell you this morning I got a new job as a professional football player. Why are you laughing? You see, y'all are laughing, but what is just as funny, and it's not funny, it's just as serious, is that we view our faith in the same light. You see, you wouldn't go to a doctor who hasn't been through medical school and has been through residency. You wouldn't trust a pilot to fly you 50,000 feet over the face of the earth if they hadn't been to pilot school or been through simulations and had hours and hours of flying smaller planes before they fly the big ones. I know this seems kind of weird, but you're not really a student if you don't study, right? And What I find funny this morning is that we have a lot of people who view the calling, the commission, and the life of Christ as something, something that just takes a backseat to everything else. And so here's, this, here's the profound question I want to ask you this morning. You ready for it? Where is the disconnect? Where is the disconnect? You see, the question is not what do I believe? The question is how do I live what I believe? And so really the question I want you to ask is how am I doing? This is like a two-fold question there. I hope you can see the irony in that. Now, The beautiful thing is that within God's story, we see people who struggle all the time with questions like this. In fact, we meet Thomas and Philip who have the same issue. And what I I want you to understand this morning is that the Bible is this progression. It is this, as we said, this endless becoming what we call good. The Bible is really, really good. It's sweaty. It's dirty. It's messy. It's beautiful. It's exciting. it's, It's salvation. It's joy. I mean, it's all those things. But what happens in God's grand story is that Jesus shows up personified as God in the form of grace. And the Bible presents this cosmic battle that takes place within our souls between growth and resistance. Growth and resistance. And what we get is this almost like a symphony of melodies and dissonance where we take three steps forward, but then we take two steps back. We take three steps forward, but then we take two steps back. And eventually, three steps in God's story wins out. And Jesus shows up and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you are to do the way, the truth, and the life. You see, grace shows up where logic breaks down. And for many of us, that doesn't work well in faith. You see, Jesus says a lot of things, and he does a lot of things that don't make sense to us. And we look back, we stand back, and we we try to make sense of it. Why? 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 Can you just bask in the glory of God's grace for a few minutes and not worry about why and truly understand that he's got it under control? But that's the problem for Thomas today. You ever struggled with something Jesus said or did? Thomas is working through this same issue. The problem is not what Jesus is saying to Thomas. The problem is what what is happening within Thomas. There's a struggle going on here, and he's struggling with the principle of likeness. You can write this down. This is important. The principle of likeness. The principle of likeness goes like this. That we will see in others what is deeply seated in our souls. In other words, we will see in others what is actually within us. You ever, you ever been around people who hate, hate the world? <laughs> and they think everybody's out to get them. You ever been around people who just absolutely can't stand themselves they think people are there to hurt them there are people who are just constantly constantly making their life miserable and what do they do they make everyone else miserable around them they see the world as hate because that's what's within them but then there are people who see the world as beauty and good my father in law is here today. We could have a conversation with somebody, and I'll walk away and say, That guy's ignorant. And he'll say, He has got a great heart. <laughs> but that's because deep within the soul of my father in law, there is goodness, there is beauty, and he can help, he can't help but see the world that way. And so the problem for Thomas and Philip today is the reason they can't see the Father is because they can't see Jesus within themselves. That was really, really good. You should write that down. Seriously. The problem, they can't see the Father, and they keep asking, will you show us the Father? Will you show us the Father? The reason you can't see is because you can't see Jesus within yourself. And what I want us to understand today is that God will remain a mystery to us as long as we don't own up to the likeness and image that you are created in. If you walk away today with anything, hear this. Own up to the image. Own the image that God has given you. Own the image that he has created you with and for. And that's what Jesus does in this moment. He challenges us. I love Jesus because he really, really gets under. You think I get under people's skin. You should hang out with Jesus. In verse 12, he presents a challenge. He says, very truly, now hang on those th- to those two words. Very truly, I tell you, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do, will do the works that I've been doing, and they will, be, they will do even greater things than this. Now, I notice you won't catch it in your Bible, but these words, very truly, are actually translated, amen, amen. Amen. Now, why would Jesus start a statement with amen, amen, and not end his statement like he was preaching really well, and when he got done, he said amen? Why would he start the statement out with amen, amen? Here's what I want us to understand. This is really what what we are grasping when, when Jesus begins to speak amen, amen. He says this. It is about an individual, and it is about a community hear this. I think we have this on the screen. That will confirm the acceptance of a task allotted by men and the performance of which there is a need of the will of God. I know that's a huge definition, but this is really important. It is about an individual and a community that will confirm the acceptance and the performance where there is a need and the will of God. You see, Jesus expresses in the scriptures this morning a need when he says, I'm going to my father's house, and when I get there, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's the need he presents to us. And what's interesting about this idea of father's house and going to a place is that when Jesus uses these words earlier in John, he's referring to the temple. And you're like, whoa, who cares? Well, the temple's important back in this time, because this was the place where God dwelled on earth. This is the place where the divine met the human. This is where God dwelled among his people, and when you wanted to experience the presence of God, you would find yourself in the temple. This is important. Because we think the Father's house is somewhere up there, somewhere out there. And what Jesus wants to say to us today is that this preparation project is in your midst. Jesus is preparing a place that is in the middle of a process, and it's for everyone. And when he says to us, I will take you back with me, so where I am, there you can also be. When these words take you back actually means to bring you into the fellowship of. So Jesus says, I'm not extracting you from the world, but I'm calling you into a community and to a fellowship that is about the restoration and the redemption of the world. You are project preparers. Amen. You are project preparers. If you believe If you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God, that he died for you, he resurrected for you, and he is creating a place for all humanity, you are a project preparer. Jesus wants you to join in this journey of preparing places for all people. You are a co-laborer. You are co-joined. You are co-loving creation with God when we create homes for all of humanity. You can clap for that. That's good. And I love the conversation. Jesus says, hey, disciples, you know the way. I may come back to take you, but you know the way. You are being called into the fellowship of the mission, and you know the way because you have watched the way. And what Jesus says to the disciples today is, I need you to quit watching the way, and I need you to start working the way. I need you to become the way for the world. You need to start doing. I love it. Paul, the Apostle Paul, the former persecutor, not prosecutor, persecutor of Christians, the one who claims that we are saved by God, Faith and not works says this, the only thing that counts, Paul wrote this in Galatians, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Our mothers have given us a beautiful image of this statement. When mothers are in line with who Jesus is, there is a reciprocation that happens with the kids that they raise. There is a love and a beauty that is unmatched when you look outside into the world. A mother and their child. And they are the embodiment of what it means to believe. Mother is not a title, it's what you do. Christian is not a title, it's what you do. So I know it's not profound, but believing is doing. Believing is, say that with me, believing is doing. Believing is doing. Can I brag on our church for a minute? Thank you. It doesn't really matter, I have the mic anyway. We've been meeting with our board, and we've been going through uh, this book called *The Unstoppable Force*. In every board meeting, we ask serious questions of our board members and our leaders, and we kind of dissect how our church is doing and where we are. And, and I, I've noticed a shift in our thinking. And the beauty of it is, we aren't people who pew; we are believers that do. I should be a poet. And I didn't even know it. No, I love it. We are no longer people who pew. We are people that do. And I love that idea because we are now moving out of this idea that this place exists only for us. That the only time we are Christian is when we find our tushies in those yellow seats right there. Last week we had a community project and we had 40 people show up. Now 40 seems like a lot, but I'm looking out here and there are more than 40 today. But we had 40 people who said, you know what, God has changed my life, and so I will participate in the mission and the redemption of his world. So I will go pick up trash because we are stewards of God's good creation. I will fold clothes because there is a need in our community, and we recognize the need, and that is the will of God that we meet that need. And so we will fold clothes, and we will clothe people who need it. 40 people showed up to do that. Amen. That's that's the whole point there. Amen. We we as a community accepted the mission that God has for this world and we met the need. We are meeting needs. That's what we do. But there's still a problem. It's only 40 people. I mean, I I don't I don't know how many people actually go to the church here, roughly around 200 or so. It's funny, we had 225 on Easter, and everybody's like, Where'd all these people come from? Well, if you came to church every week, there'd be 225 people here. We didn't have a lot of visitors, we had a lot of people that just go to our church. But 40 out of 200 is not a lot. So I want to ask you this question How are you invested? How are you invested in the life of this church? How are you invested as a Christian? How are you doing? There's that question again. You see, we have a, we have a value here of invest, that we will use our time, our gifts, and our talents to, to invest in others and help restore people into the image of God. But the reality is, we, we have this dichotomy that's happening in our church. We are growing numerically, but not monetarily. <laughs> They're actually going in opposite directions, and I know that we might have the perception here that that we have a lot of pastors that are paid. We have very few that are paid. We have a lot of people that just volunteer their time. And you have to understand that that I've never preached about money since I've been here, not once, because I hate it. I hate talking about it, but I hate to say it. But we we have to be invested. See, we want to meet the needs of our community. We want to help pay people's bills when they come in and they need help. We want to clothe people. We want to feed people. We want to do projects in the community, those projects that we are a part of community. But yet, the funds are not there. And so I'm asking you today, if you have not been invested monetarily, now's the time. And I don't like doing this on Mother's Day, but I'm just saying, we can't continue to support the community around us. We can't meet the needs if we don't have people who give. There are about 10 to 12 top givers in this church that support the entire thing. And again, there are more than 12 of you here today. There are some of you who think that this is the only time that I come to church. Can I just say, we have so many places that we need your gifts. This is where it's more important. We need your gifts and your talents. We, we are raising up, we have anywhere from 40 to 50 kids on church on Sunday. We need people who are willing to invest in our kids. We need people that are willing to invest in our teenagers and our students. We need people to use their gifts for the good of our community. So my question again. What Paul says is the only thing that counts is your faith expressing itself in love. Where are you working? Where are you doing? And the last question I want to leave you with is will you get invested? We don't do this alone. As we said earlier, we do this as a body and a community and a church. Will you get invested? And will you be part of what we are doing? These amazing things that are happening in and through our church that are reaching lost people. Lost people. We've had eight people come to Christ in the last three months. That's more than we had all last year. (laughs) Eight people. Your investment is needed whether you mentor, whether you give, whether you share, whatever it is, we need you. This morning, we we participate in a practice as we do every week. And part of the doing is allowing God to shape us by the very things that we do here. As we like to say, you are what you eat. And when you come before this beautiful table that's prepared for you, and you eat from the grace of God, we truly believe that this is what God is molding and shaping you into is a beautiful image of god's grace so this is this is not just a a table that sits here it's a table that sends people when you come and receive you're then called to move out that this this meal sends us this meal has mission to it this meal calls us to do So when you come forward this morning, as you eat, may it be a reminder not only of God's love and forgiveness for you, but this meal is a mission. Let me pray for you. Lord, we give you honor. We give you praise. We give you thanks that we have the opportunity to set the beautiful table that you have called us each of us to. That everyone is invited into this moment to eat from your goodness and your grace and your glory and your love. I pray that you would mold us and shape us into people who are doers. May we be the example of our mothers today. We give thanks for moms. We give thanks that they they raise the future, but they also raise the present. We pray that you would embolden them and strengthen them, that you would continue to give them courage to to live the life of a mother. We submit these elements to you, and we submit this moment to you. In Jesus' name, amen.